Wealth Tactic Rebels, ingenious tactics to accumulate wealth for people who see things differently. Welcome to another episode with Wealth Tactic Rebels, the podcast for people who see things differently. I'm your host, Kevin Dumont, and you know, I've been seeing things differently in the wealth field for going on nearly 15 years now. Today, we have a guest joining us for our discussion, Mad Singers. Mad, how are you today? I am doing fantastic. How are you, Kevin? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. I'm glad to hear the same. So, Mads is the founder of what we call the Mad Singers Management Academy. So today, if you haven't guessed by uh, what Mads is into, is we're going to talk about some tips on how you can become a management master. Now, Mads has plenty of history on how to do this, but uh, Mads, why don't you tell your story? I think you'll be better than me. Let our listeners know a little bit about where you came from and what inspired you to get to where you are. Yeah, definitely, Kevin. So uh, originally I'm from Denmark, but I left when I turned 18, and I've since lived in like Ireland, the UK, uh, Eastern Europe, and now in Asia. So um, basically my, my background initially was, was very corporate, so I worked with large companies such as Xerox and IBM yeah. uh, in various roles, and that's where I got the majority of my initial management experience. Right. And uh, when I left the corporate world, I, I started out as a management coach. I had actually started from about nearly two years before I left IBM. I, I started out coaching people already. And that was basically what I started doing sort of full time when, when I left IBM. Right. Um, and that's when I enjoyed doing more than anything. So right. uh, love building teams, love building companies, love seeing, love seeing stuff grow. Yeah. I really love helping clients do the same thing. Yeah. So that's... Uh, Cool. That's sort of my, my key focus. That's very rewarding. Uh, I run a few of it, but the management coaching is the one I have the most fun with, <laughs> uh, I would say. Right. Um, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine it's very rewarding to help people shape things like that. Sort of like being an artist of your own. Yeah, and, and I mean, honestly, when I started initially, I was trying to get into large organizations and coach them. But, but mm-hmm. honestly, when you go into a room and people are like, oh, wow, great, I have a four-hour break now. And like... People don't give a shit. Like that's it's <laughs> working with large companies compared to. I'm not, I'm not saying everyone's like that, but you know there was a lot of that in, in larger corporations. And uh, yeah, whereas yeah. when you're working with entrepreneurs and smaller businesses, they're often a lot more. They're a lot more driven and they're a lot more sort of really wanting to make a difference, right? So it's it's a totally sure. different environment, and and you see yeah. different, right? I mean, again, yeah. no matter how many people you help in, how many managers you help in Coca-Cola, it's not like the stock price is going to go explode tomorrow, right? Uh, where when you work with entrepreneurs, like you, you see the direct impact like straight away. So it's it's really right. amazing. Right. Cool. Great. So I imagine that in your experience, when you're going through all this, there's a lot of similarities you see from one person to another or company to another. And you know, there's a lot of coaching out there. This is what you do for management. But you know, we have this uh, philosophy with Wealth Tactic Rebels where we start with first trying to avoid losses before we start chasing rates of returns, right? Is plug the holes first. <laughs> Your bucket's going to be more full rather than continually trying to fill it up, right? Yes. So I imagine there's a lot of things that you see that are consistent that people might be getting wrong with what they're doing. So maybe we can talk and expand a little bit about those things and that you see commonly. Yeah, I'll probably talk. I mean, I'll be a bit harsh calling it wrong. It's more a question of they don't know better. Right. Ah, right. Um, right. So, so, so no, they don't know exactly. Right. And if we start out, like the first thing for me 
is very much about, I call it the entrepreneurial circuit. So basically what, what tend to happen is people kind of get the ideas they want a business, right? And a lot right. of people then end up saying, okay, well, what should my office chair look like? And what should my logo look like? And I need a new laptop. And, you know, they, they get very distracted at the beginning, right? And sure. obviously the majority of that is not really productive in any way, right? Right. Um, then the next step, which is really the key foundation is, most people go way too broad when they start a business because they're afraid uh, of they're afraid of closing people out. They're afraid right, not having enough uh, market, right? Exactly, right. And really, particularly in the beginning, you always want to do the exact opposite, right? Right. So majority of people. I mean, I, I take some examples. So if you look at, let's say, web developers, for example. Like, again, a web developer is like, oh, I'm a web developer. I can web develop anything. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. Where are you going to go find your leads? Uh, if right. you just start talking to every business on planet Earth, uh, that's that's a big market. And the problem is if you're not specialized based on where you, what you're good at, you, you don't have a place where you can add additional value, right? So right, right. the fundamental is... Like when you set up a business, one of the key purpose around specialization is the ability to add more value based on past experience, right? So as a right. web developer, if you say you do web development for anything anywhere, you end up doing a whole bunch of website projects. But the problem is you're going to be doing what most people do, which is like, okay, client, what should it look like? What color should the button be? What do you want? Right. And the problem is right. that's not you adding value. That's I mean, that's like a carpenter asking a customer, how should I build the house, right? Like, right, right. <laughs> you're the expert. You should come with that, right? So the whole point, for example, if you take web developers and say, okay, I want to be a web developer for, I don't know, carpenters, right? Um, if you go and develop 20 different websites for 20 different carpenters, what happens is you build up an expertise. You get to know all the words, you know the clients, you know the keywords, you know what people search for. Mm -hmm. And the benefit with that as well is you can start like optimizing, figure out what works best. Right, right, um, right. And the thing is, very quickly, you can build yourself an expertise as being the guy that built website for carpenters, right? And mm -hmm. again, that makes you much more likely to sell your services because when you start actually looking for new clients, you can actually go to the likes of LinkedIn and you can literally look for carpenters, right? Yeah, right, now, right. If you go to LinkedIn and just write any business owner on planet Earth, like your success rate will be very small. But if you have a business right. that builds websites for carpenters, if you're a carpenter, you're a hundred times more attracted to a company like that than someone who built websites for anyone. Right. So it helps Makes you make sense. Really hone in on the on, on sort of the specific niche. It really helps you get things right. And and again, web dev was an example, but but the same thing happens in pretty much any business, right? Um right. I see a lot of people buying I don't want to say cheap shopping cheap stuff in China and shipping it to the US, but a lot of e commerce people that sit and look around and a lot of them, you know, they're not looking at one niche, they're just picking random product, right? And the problem is yeah. there's no synergy, right? If you have five right. in one niche, like you can do something with it. But if you're selling nappies and toilet seats and bed sheets or something, I mean, you know, it have nothing in common and right. you don't have a ton of synergy behind it, right? Right. They're looking for whatever they see that they can have a higher profit margin on, what they, can they get easily versus what am I going to get 
people the most interested in. Yeah. And, and one of the key things that I'll always focus on in business is, is customer lifetime value, right? Which is uh, really, right, really right. important. And one of the benefits, if, if you start out by putting yourself out as the expert, like let's continue the example, but as web developer for Carpenters, right? Now, when you have mastered that, when that's going really well, then you can start adding to the value chain and you can say, well, by the way, I can also do SEO for you or I can do whatever other things you can add to that, right? To increase the customer right. lifetime value. Because again, that would give you more money to spend on acquiring new clients, right? Uh, right. So again, like that is the benefit of really niching down and, and really starting uh, very specific. Now, in the beginning, it might take you a little bit longer. And honestly, a lot of people spend these three years or the thousand days in the beginning of a business because doing all these random things. And then at some point, they're like, oh, that's a great client. Let's go that way. And then right. going that way, that's when start, things start working well. Right. So I see. it's a little bit harder to start off that way. Because the challenge is you might not know that many carpenters and you might know one hairdresser and you might know one carpenter and one something else, right? Uh, and right, right. getting people are so desperate getting clients, right? But if you right. can actually, like, you need to get some initial clients for whatever you're picked. And obviously, if you've done projects for someone in a certain niche and you feel that's a niche you know and it's a good niche, then that's often a great place to start because having a case study makes a ton of sense, right? Yeah. Makes sense. Anyway, that whole niche aspect is definitely one where sort of a lot of businesses, sort of under 20 people, still haven't gotten that niche right. And they end up spending so much time running around operation, trying to coordinate all the mm-hmm. clients coming in. And, you know, they're not clear on, on very much, very many things, which is right. a challenge, right? Right, right. I've heard it's a little bit like if you're very broad, no one's going to really care that much about you and what you have but when you niche down you develop people who become followers that not they're much more passionate and more personal it's more in touch you know you're more more of a personal relationship almost with them to some degree again it depends what you niche like again if you're working i mean if you sell air conditions for example like people will never right. have like we're not the one people read about every night before they go to bed right uh, right, right. So it, it does depend on your product and your niche, but the whole thing is it's a lot easier to connect to people. So, right, right. Particularly in the beginning, you'd rather have ten percent of a small, tiny market than zero percent of a huge market, right? And True. and it's much easier to actually find a market and conquer it when you go small. And and ideally, something you can identify, right? Like, so it kind of it makes it easier for people to take the step because. Again, take web development. Like a million people do web development. Why pick you? And the whole point is they should pick you because you're a specialist in their specific niche, right? Right, right. That's the whole that's the whole focus. Okay, good. So that's so definitely that's definitely a good starting point. So starting point is niching. Now, I think another thing you were you were talking about, oh well, you start offering more services, more things that you start doing. And if you're a typical small business person, you try to do it all yourself, right? That's kind of, that can be a problem in and of itself. So I, wouldn't that lead to maybe the next point? <laughs> definitely would. Yeah. So, so what I spend the most time in my management coaching with business owners today and, and have done for, I'd say, at least the last year, the biggest problem generally is delegation. 
right? Delegation. Yeah. It's not that people don't know they should do it. It's both the mindset behind it, it's the how-to, and it's really the execution of it, right? Right. right. The mindset behind it to start out is, is probably the most critical, and it's probably the reason why most people don't do it. Number one is they feel everything has to be perfect. Right, and of course. It's your business, your baby. Yeah. And the thing is, if you have a client, you want to make sure everything's perfect. Now, the thing is, if you want to grow a business, right, you have to grow. And I, I try and do normally like a pyramid, right? Like you have to be doing the most valuable thing you can do in your business to grow it. Because if you're sitting right. around doing things that people getting paid three bucks or five bucks an hour could be doing, you're basically doing stuff that pays you very, very, very little. And a lot of business owners do that. Like they'll run around right. and, you know, they'll mop their own floor because they don't want to pay someone for it. The whole point is if they invested that time and that headache in actually building new business, driving new business to them, they would be in a much better position much faster, right? So right. That makes sense. The, the fundamental mindset is consistently growing and increasing the value of what you're doing. And the way you do that is by letting go of the least valuable stuff. So I generally have sort of three areas I look at when it comes to delegation, right? So one of the things to look at is what's the least valuable you do. The second thing is what do you hate doing, aka what are you not good at? Because again, those sort of things, even though they might not always take a ton of time, it's things that really slows you down and it often meant right, right. hinders you in being exceptional because like take taxes every year. Majority of people hate doing them. The right, of course. problem is not the, the day that it takes them to do it. The problem is much more the six months or three months before when they're like, oh, now it's nearly tax time. You know, it's running around their head. Sure. They probably have a, an Outlook reminder pinging them probably about a hundred times before they actually get it done. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I agree with that statement. <laughs> the, problem is, the fundamental problem is that kills you. As a business owner, as right. someone who's supposed to be effective and getting shit done, right? That's not the way to go. So again, for those sort of things, and it was just an example, but most people have things in their business, depending on their personality, that they're really not good at or they really like don't like doing. And getting other people to do that is often a huge relief even though it might not be a huge chunk of time that it takes. Right, but there's only so much mental energy any one person has, right? So if you're spending a portion of that thinking about something that, like you say, is not that important to the business, I mean, it has to be done, but it's not what's bringing in the money to the business. It's not what's going to grow the business. Then it's just, it's wasting that opportunity. And if you think about it, like in money sense, it would be like if you're spending every time you put money into an investment, it grows. Well, maybe not every time, but over time, hopefully, right? So you have compounding effect of money over time. But every time you take it out, that money that you took out is no longer compounding. So when you're taking that energy and mindset, mind time out of your business, your business isn't compounding. Exactly. Yeah. So and that's the second thing. And the, the third thing I then start looking at where is it to spend the most of your time? Because again, particularly as a small business, if you spend 40, 50, 60% of your time doing one specific area, one specific task, again, easier to hire someone full time to do that. 
right? Like if something is 60% of your time, that's probably 100% on, uh, of an employee's time, right? Right, right. Yeah, so that's basically the three areas. When you start with delegation, that's really what you want to look at, right? And then one of right. the fundamental things to remember is a lot of time people are like, oh, I don't want to give my staff boring work. And one of the key things is what's boring to you is not necessarily boring to someone else. That's and true. The whole thing, so that that's both because people are, are good at different things, but also the fact that when you're working with other people, right, when you're the boss, a boss man comes to someone and says, by the way, man, I have this thing that I really would love your help on. It's something I normally do, but I trust you, I love you, and I think you could help me do it really well, Right. Like, even if it's boring, people feel honored, people feel great. They're like, oh, I get to do some of boss man's work, right? So right, right, of course. Basically, what's the bottom of your priority list is really the top of someone else's priority list, right? Because that's coming from the right. boss. So right. that makes them feel important when you do that. Exactly. And it's a really, really good way. Like, And again, like some people like repetitive stuff. Some people like complicated stuff. Like you, There's always different people liking different things, right? So sure. again, when you sure, are sure. building Absolutely. your team and if you are building a good team out, like that's definitely sort of the key point to, to look in those areas and see. Generally, fundamentally, I believe there's two things that a company manager should be doing and that's one-to-ones with the direct staff and it's uh, recruitment mm-hmm. of people that work directly for them, right? In right, principle, right. Anything so, else they do can be delegated, right? As a business owner, sure. obviously, you have a little bit more responsibility with sort of overall strategy and sort of overall direction. But the fundamental is pretty much anything you do business-wise, like whatever you do today, ideally, you shouldn't be doing two years from now sort of task within the business. So if you're doing sales, if you're doing customer mm. fulfillment, like you want to bring in people to do that if you are looking to grow a business. If you just want to build yourself a full-time job, obviously you can do that. But if you want to build an actual business that can grow and scale, that's the way you want to think. Right. So it's you spend every time you can move something that you've been doing to someone else. Now it's freed you up some time to start thinking about your business, developing something else. You work on it, develop it, maybe make it into like a, a process or somehow train someone else on that process right. so that they can take it over and now you can develop exactly else. and i mean for, for most smaller businesses like the, the first thing to often get right is get the first clients in right and so many people right. again spend so much time yeah trying all sorts of crazy lead generation and the, the problem is often that consistency right. what happens is they do lead generation for a long time and they're like oh there's a client yeah. let's fulfill them and then they, all the energy goes from sales and marketing to customer fulfillment and the problem is that right. gen. so that means if that client leaves or you know like three weeks down the line the lead gen pretty much dries up right so again one of the key things as a business owner with this stuff is really making sure you build a consistent process around it like it's said many times, but you're much more likely to get great results from a consistent approach than doing something like for a significant amount of time and then stopping again. Right. So of course, keep, keep it going. It's like getting the ball rolling again. Right. That's that statement. You got to get it going again. It takes energy. And, and time. it's about establishing those right habits. Right. So it doesn't matter if you're right. sitting writing messages to random people on LinkedIn or whatever it is. Instead of doing that eight hours a day for three days and then hating it for the rest of your life, 
Like if you take half an hour at one point, maybe in the afternoon, uh, you know, but have a half an hour every day where you do that, right? It will probably right, take right. you a little bit longer to see the results. But if you do that consistently, you establish a great habit and you start building up sort of a more consistent lead flow system. Because again, for entrepreneurial business, it's so important to consistently have new potential leads come in. Right, right. So basically what we're saying here is that the two things that people are are not doing is one is the system and then two is the consistency. Yeah. Right. So that's, it makes sense. It makes sense a lot, you know, and I think that can go back a little bit too. again, what we keep talking about is the delegation. You develop that system and you can't do everything. So when you are able to delegate it to someone else and that's now their job, you can keep it consistent. Right. Yeah. And to happen in most businesses when they're one, two, three people, they often don't have good lead generation systems. It's often much right. more built on like random relationships and, oh, we landed a big plan and that sort of thing. But again, that's one of the key things as business owner you want is either work with someone that can help you build that system or figure out how to try and build that system yourself if you feel that sort of sales marketing thing is, is your strength, right? So, yeah. Right. Makes sense. I think the next thing we need to touch on there too, because we keep talking about, okay, you build that system, you delegate, but you have to have someone to delegate to. And I think that that part, that recruitment is probably key, right? If you recruit the wrong person, it's not going to work, do any good for you. You have to recruit the right yeah, kind of I, people. I will say as a business owner, one of the two most valuable skills you can develop is your ability to recruit and find the right people. Simply because if you've ever worked with great people, and if you've ever worked with, let me be polite, not so great people, um, <laughs> you know what a difference it makes, right? Getting great people on board, particularly the first sort of five, six, seven, eight hires you make are going to be critical because ideally, if you're growing a larger scale company, ideally they will grow with you. They will grow with the company and they will be able to step up and take more responsibility as things grow. And if you haven't got great people right. in the beginning, that really significantly hinders your growth, right? So from a yeah. recruitment standpoint, uh, one of the things I'm, I'm a huge fan of is uh, the behavioral system called DISC, which is very, basically a behavioral system that can help you identify sort of people's natural tendencies and, and natural behaviors. And that really helps you mm -hmm. understand many things, but amongst other, what people's sort of core strength are and what they're good at and so on, right? Um, and this is not a test mm -hmm. people, uh, it's a test people can take, but the, the beauty about this is that you can actually learn to read people by just looking at their behavior and like looking at their emails and things like that. So you can basically, you, you don't need to take people to take a test and then trust those results. I fundamentally have a significant problem with any kind of personality test that you have to take in the interview phase, because no matter how mm. hard you try, people will always tell you what they think you want to know, right? Especially right. if I was right. doing an interview yeah, for a sense. job I really wanted, even if I knew I wasn't the ideal candidate, I would probably say what I expect to want to hear as well, right? Um, of course. So, yeah. it's human nature. like behavioral tests and stuff like that can be cool, but I generally don't like them a lot in the specifically in the recruitment phase. What I do like specifically about this, as I said, is the fact that you can actually learn to read people based on their behavior, right? Okay. And, and that's right, the right. essence. So from a recruitment standpoint, first of all, 
recruitment is sales, not fulfillment. Right. What I mean with that is if you want the best people, you need to sell your company. You need to sell the job. You have to sell it to them because the best people are not just sitting around waiting for a random job to pop up. And one of the key things I always say, if you have someone sitting in an interview and you're like, okay, so why are you here? Why do you want to work with us? And they're like, oh, I need a job. Right. If that's the only reason they're sitting in front of you and, and that's the attitude to it, you probably have the wrong person. And alternatively, you haven't sold the job very well. Right. Right. Because right. if you sell right. the job well, the response will be totally different. It will be like, I totally want to work with you guys. I love your, I don't know, I love your values. I love how you work with clients. I, I love whatever. But they will find something of what you are that they really resonate with. Right. And, the whole purpose and, and the huge benefit with really sharing your values and really being honest about what you're looking for is the fact that people who doesn't fit that will be a lot less likely to apply, right? And everything right. else being equal, again, it's about having well-qualified people. So again, treat recruitment as sales. So in the same way, like when I, when I think recruitment, I literally think as sales fun. Like I'm thinking we build a landing page, with all the information, uh, you actually build an email list for all the people who sign up, right? Because even if you don't hire them this yep. time, maybe they'll be a good fit for a later stage. And then you, it's right. about getting a lot of people into the funnel. Obviously, a lot of qualified people, ideally, but so many business owners, like they get 10 resumes and they're like, okay, great, let me look at these 10 people, right? But the thing is, the likelihood of you hitting a great person in 10 people is not necessarily very great. Right. Right. Fundamental right. for me, the way I look at it is get a lot of people into the top. And then the key thing is basically splitting it up. Like you don't want to interview 300 people. Right. Of course. But if you have 300 applications, you can much easier put some good filters on and say, okay, I want someone who, I mean, depending on the job role, let's say you're hiring for customer service, you can say, I want someone that have minimum two years customer service experience. Now, that doesn't mean that people who don't have it, couldn't be good. Right, of course. But everything else being equal, you're more likely to get a good person if they have experience doing it. Sure. Right. And the whole point about that is you, you want to increase the odds of you making the right decision. So mm. and all the time in your business you will see different filters. So some of the filters I use in the outsourcing business I own, for example, is we love hiring people who have worked abroad. And basically if you worked abroad, the likelihood that you get at least an interview with us is very high. And that's because when we look at 10 of our top 10 performers, nine of them have lived abroad, right? So again, we actually, we spend a lot of time sort of analyzing our people and looking at what's the positives and the negatives. And one of the negatives we found as a denominator was a a particular high-class school that we don't like recruiting people from in the Philippines. And the main reason I believe, yeah, I'm not 100% sure why, but I believe it's because it's often kids of very rich parents who aren't necessarily that used to actually having to perform, right? Uh, uh, right. So, they're, so they're, not as, they're not as driven, they don't exactly. have the, the passion to, they don't feel like they need actually, to. More importantly, they also expect a lot of money for doing not very much. Um, Right. So right. It's, uh, so, but again, I mean, we've learned that to experience and the beginning, you won't have a lot of that. But again, like you can always set down filters. You generally know you have a good idea of what you're looking for. You can make some filters initially and then learn from it along the way. Right. Um, 
but that's right. really what you right. want to do. And you then want to get it down to possibly the 10 to 20 best candidates, right? Now you can do a lot of filtering. So some of the things we love doing is like ask people to do like a two minute video, upload it to YouTube and send it to you, right? That's like, a good idea, yeah. Actually, we like doing it through Google Forms and stuff so your inbox doesn't get filled up. But if yeah. you have a two minute video of people, I promise you, if you have 20 or 30 or 40 candidates, send you a two minute video, you'll remove probably half of them before you even finish the two minutes because just so right. many things that are easy to pick up on in a video that you wouldn't necessarily see yeah. in an application, right? And again, yeah. it's all about sort of improving the, your odds of being successful for the fun you have in the end. Basically, like as I say, if you take 10 random people, your odds of getting a great one is at best one to 10. Now, if you get filtered out and your chance to get a great one is maybe six to 10 or seven to 10, everything else being equal, you're more likely to get a good hire. Now, it's true. It's true. The thumb is you will always make mistakes. Everyone does. The best recruiters in the world still hire the wrong people occasionally, right? Right. The thing is, when you hire the wrong people and you realize it's about letting them go as soon as possible. Um, so that's sort of, yeah, one of the key sort of recruitment things, right? Right. Which I imagine can be hard for people, you know, especially if you're a small business person, you're passionate about your business. It's a personal decision. Yeah for them sometimes. Right? And it is hard. I mean, I'm not saying letting go of people is easy, but and, and that's why, I mean, you're much, much better putting significant more sort of focus on the recruitment process and doing a good job to increase those odds simply because having to let go of people sucks, right? And it's a waste right. of time. Like if you've spent weeks training them to realize they're not the right fit, like that's a lot of resources, right? True. Um, sure. So, yeah. Do you see people, um, I, today's world's much more mobile with everything. Do you see people, a lot of businesses that traditionally would have hired someone to be right there with them in their office, maybe hire remotely? Could that be a solution for a lot of people? Yeah, I mean, to kind of think outside of that box, maybe they, it opens up the possibility of a good hire. Yeah, more. I mean, a lot of the clients that I work with are online business owners, right? And a lot of them either travel a lot or are not specifically location dependent as such. And, and definitely many of mm. those hire people around the world. Again, like I've run an outsourcing company as well for about five years. So definitely I, I know a ton of people doing that. And Right. I think there's always, I mean, if you can hire someone to sit next to you, it definitely gives you certain benefits, right? Right. I think there's, there's always different calls for different things. Now, if you look at the world as a whole, you might have a lot more flexibility to get a more qualified person somewhere else in the world for the same money as you would be able to hire someone for next door, right? Right. Um, so right. that's one aspect. Like if you're looking for an absolute top player, right? So like, let's say you want a top salesperson or something. Now, obviously, if it has to happen in person, then you, you need them locally. But right, right. if not, you could use some sort of global person, right? And right. Equal, if you're looking at the whole world, you have a lot more potential, at least, than if you're just looking at Kentucky or Ohio or whatever state you're in, right? That's right. Just one, one town, one city. Exactly. Yep. Now, the second aspect is then looking at what are different rules and what is sort of the ROI and what's the benefit of doing different work. So again, like do live in a global world where it can make sense to get a lot of things done in other places than where you're from. So again, 
right, we right. do a lot of data management and so on uh, with the outsourcing business we have we work with a, a lot of i'll call it simpler tasks but it's basically a, a lot of it is stuff that it, it's difficult to justify paying someone 15 bucks an hour to do right um right but it's still stuff that's valuable and it still benefits significantly that it gets done right and that could be Things right. like I mean, we work with a lot of e-commerce businesses where we're sitting, you know, they get an order in and we sit and place it in a different system for them to ship it out and things like that. So uh, there's a lot of manual processes in companies. There's a lot of work that isn't particularly complex and could easily be done by someone halfway around the world at a significantly lower price, right? And right, for right. Me, fundamentally, like a lot of people are afraid of outsourcing, but. For me, it's it's not necessarily something that means you lose jobs. And and even if you have staff already, you can often find other good things for them to do. So as I talked about before with the pyramid, the whole thing is you're trying to increase the value of what everyone in your organization is doing. Right. So if you can take right. something very low value away from your staff and get them to do more high value stuff, again, that will everything else being equal, that will help grow your company. Right. Makes sense. Yep. And the thing is, like, if you take something as simple, let's take sales, right? If you have one sales guy right now and he's doing his own lead generation and his own sales, now for you to afford to buy another one, there would need to be uh, potentially a lot of, what do you say, a lot of potential leads, right? Now, right. if you got someone, for example, in the Philippines or in Eastern Europe or someone to sit and do lead generation for you, so the sales guy didn't do that, but he just had to focus on sales, right? That could right. potentially create many more jobs for you with more, many more salespeople because their time would be much better spent in what they're really good at, right? Which is bringing revenue in exactly, too. right? So the whole focus is not about outsource everything because there, there's definitely a a lot of reason to have local people. I mean, there's sure. a lot of smart people everywhere in the world, right? So it's really understanding what are the right. different things that happens and what are the things that really make sense to have someone local. Or, uh, and and doesn't need, even need to be local as in, in your city, but even in your country, right? What's, what's the sort of right. benefit in having people doing certain things versus other tasks and really evaluating that and seeing, well, where does it make sense to hire someone for five bucks an hour to do it instead of someone for 15, 20, 25 bucks an hour? Absolutely. Before we close today, I'm going to ask you for a value bomb, but of course with our Wealth Tactic Rebels twist there that we talked about, which is, you know, first avoiding a loss, right? So in your experience, something that our Wealth Tactic Rebel listeners in their management mastery could look to avoid doing and then something they could do about that. Yeah. So... One of the key things that I see, particularly with remote staff, is people forgetting to treat them as human beings. And what I mean with that is, if you have people work for you, just talking to them every day, all day, every year on Skype, Skype chat is not an option, right? If you have staff, you want to talk with them on a regular basis, and I suggest weekly. But if you have staff reporting to you, you want to talk with them ideally weekly and ideally on audio or, or even better on video, right? Right. It makes such a difference to the relationship. And when you manage staff, it's all about building good relationships, right? If you, yeah, absolutely. If you're trying, like, I usually use the same example, but if you phone a bunch of your friends and you're like, hey, I'm moving this weekend, do you want to come help? 
right? If they say yes or no, generally it's depending on how good a friend and how good a relationship you have. True. And it's the same with your staff. Now, you want your staff to ideally help you as much as possible, particularly when it's needed. So if you're if you're telling them one day, hey, by the way, could you stay a few hours extra and so on, right? They say yep. yes. That's probably a good thing for you, right? So so really building that relationship. And I'm not saying you have to be best friends of the person, but building relationship is taking interest in who people are, talking to them as human beings, and really making sure that you show them respect, right? I mean, they, they take yep. all day, every day to come work at your company. If you can't find half an hour to talk with them each week as their boss, then you probably haven't got your priorities right. Hmm. Good tip. So before we close, anything you want to tell our Wealth Actor Ribbles listeners? I'll say one, one sort of key thing that could maybe have you stressed about your bomb, but one thing I do see, particularly when people start growing their business and actually promoting people into management positions, is the fact that they forget to help them do it. Like people are good at buying all these courses and getting all this training for technical skills. But if you promote people into management positions with people management responsibility, you definitely, definitely want to give them training. All right. So right. just like everything else, like it's not like they walk home on a Friday and they come back on Monday and suddenly know how to manage people. Like human beings don't like, they don't work like that. And one of the problems is if, if people have just been promoted, they're often afraid to say, I don't know what to do because they're afraid of that promotion being taken away from them again and given to someone else. Right. So sure, as the boss, you really have to make sure that you invest in your people from that perspective. It's easy to say as a management coach, but I really, really deeply mean it. I see so many businesses that are stagnant because the managers aren't very good at managing. And honestly, it's no fault of their own because they probably haven't been given more support. So, you know, right. They have the training. So or coaching, which exactly. of course you do. I mean, obviously I'll throw out my own stuff as well, but, uh, but I, I've developed a, what I call sort of management mastery, which is sort of the 80, 20 of effective management, which is basically a, a course people can get uh, that includes a, a coaching session. And that's basically to up their people skills, right? It's both for entrepreneurs and also for managers within the businesses. So a different recommend people to take a look at that on my website at madsingers.com. Absolutely. And I'm going to put Mad's information, his website, his contact information, and his social media, whatever you want to reach out to him out of it. It's all going to be on our wealthtacticrebels.com website. You can just go to our uh, tips to become a management master episode, and it's all going to be right there for you. Also, while you're there, I appreciate it. If you reach out to our Wealth Tactic Rebels Facebook, and just drop us a little quick note. Let us know what you think about this episode. And Mads, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. You've given a lot of great information to our listeners. Thank you very much for having me, Kevin. It's always a pleasure to help people. Absolutely. It's all about relationships, right? It is. It is. And Wealthatic Rebels, we appreciate your relationship. Mads, have a great day. Wealthatic Rebel listeners, have a great day. Want to really see things differently? Take our course in Genius Tactics 201, where we teach you all the wealth accumulating tactics with detailed real-life examples, see your progress with quizzes, and a certificate of completion. For course details, visit WealthTacticRebels.com. Sign up today and start seeing things differently.
presentation is intended as informational only. Information presented does not consider your particular financial objectives, risk tolerance, time horizon, or other unique circumstances, and does not constitute a personalized recommendation or replace the advice of a financial, tax, or legal advisor or other qualified professionals. Do your own research and do not use the information of this presentation in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional. To the best of our ability, we provide content that is accurate as of the date of release. However, we give no assurance or guarantee regarding its accuracy, timeliness, completeness, or applicability. We assume no liability for the information of this and related presentations.